Transcendent brightness did stout shine myriads so bright. If he whom mutual league united thoughts and counsels, equal hope and hazard in the glorious enterprise, joined with me once, now misery hath joined in equal ruin. Into what pit thou seest, from what height fallen, so much the stronger proved. He with his thunder, and till then, who knew the force of those dire arms? Yet not for those, nor what the potent victor in his rage can else inflict, do I repent or change, no changed in outward luster. That fixed mind and high disdain, from sense of injured merit that with the mightiest raised me to contend and to the fierce contention brought along innumerable force of spirits armed that dust is like his reign and me preferring his utmost power with adverse power opposed in dubious battle on the plains of heaven and shook his throat. Though the field be lost, all is not lost. The unconquerable will and study of revenge, immortal hate and courage never to submit or yield, and what is else not to be overcome. That glory never shall his wrath or might extort from me to bow and sue for grace with suppliant knee and deify his power who from the terror of his arms so late doubted his empire. That were low indeed. That were an ignominy and shame beneath this downfall. Since by fate, the strength of gods and this imperial substance cannot fail. Since through experience of this great event, in arms not worse, in foresight much advanced, we may with more successful hope resolve to wage by force or guile. Eternal war, irreconcilable to our grand foe, who now triumphs. Soul reigning holds the tyranny of heaven. goes directly to the FBI right. um, without Americans' names blacked out or anything. 
And the FBI is allowed to search through it for the names of particular Americans or for um, search queries that are designed to show, um, you know, or reveal criminal activity. They do this, not only do they do it without a search warrant or probable cause, um, FBI agents can do this at an assessment stage where there's really no suspicion whatsoever. Um, Senator Wyden has called this the backdoor search loophole because ordinarily in order to get access to Americans' communications, the FBI would have to show probable cause to right. a judge and get a search warrant. And the you know this would all be eventually revealed to the American. Um, instead, what's happening is there's this vast amount of searching going on um, on a you know substantial amount of information about Americans. Recently, the government said it happens so often they can't possibly document the reasons for these searches, because that would be like asking us to document our reasons every time we search Google, right. which given how much I search thing for things on the Internet is pretty scary. Um, but they search it a lot, basically. Um, and then one of the things we've seen is that when they find information about people, they pretend they found it a different way. Right. So, so called, in a couple uh, of cases where uh, people have faced criminal charges, they've told them, oh, we got this through regular traditional FISA that's based on a warrant, when actually right. they got it through this warrantless process. And and th th that's referred to as parallel construction, right? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's lying. Okay. Um, I think it's lying. Parallel <laughs> construction is a slightly different thing, um, okay. which I think also is lying. But 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 it ha parallel construction is like we found it this one way, and then we sort of um, we you know we sort of refound the information <laughs> following a path that's less uh, controversial. And so they did find were able to find the information that way, but it wasn't really how they got clued into it. Here okay. they just basically lied. They just said, "Okay, we got it through FISA," but they actually got I it see. through this. Maybe they maybe they got a FISA warrant too to get the same information. I don't I don't know, but right. I think yes, it's parallel construction. And I think either way, it's it's basically a misrepresentation to the court and to the defendant about how the investigation really took place. And and also part of the as I recall the the. Um, well, FBI and NSA justification for this is they call this sort of incidental collection, right? All of right. this information is incidental, which is an interesting euphemism, I guess, for, for, <laughs> yeah. for what Yeah, I mean, doing. in the book, I talk about these words that we hear. You know, it's, it's incidental because it's incident to the um, targeting of the foreigner, and, you know, we happen to be collected if we're talking to the foreigner or, or sometimes in other cases, depending upon the technology of collection, we may have nothing to do with the foreigner um, and have our communications collected. Um, but it's incident to the effort to collect on the foreigner. But when you when you use that term incidental, it sounds like there's just a few incidents of right. it. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it's, um, it's ubiquitous. Um, so, you know, while the government won't count how many Americans get intercepted, the um, Washington Post did an analysis of a set of Section 702 data, this, this warrantless wiretapping data that um, they obtained from Snowden. They found that 9 out of 10 people in the database were not the target. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, if that's accurate, you figure for every one target, there's nine other people in the database. And that 50% of the information um, was about Americans, including right. Americans' names or identifiers or something like that. You have 90,000 targets, let's say, under Section 702. That's, I think, the, you know, around that is the most recent number from the Director of National Intelligence. You know, 90,000 times 10, half of that's about Americans. 
it's a lot of information for be to call it incidental yeah yeah no that's that's definitely a little bit scary yeah um and um i think you know one of the things that that um also just uh, and part of the problem with this is that it's also misleading i think (laughs) is you know almost everything that that when, when the government sort of explains these programs they explain them in ways like that, or they use words like that, that, that make it sound, you know, or, or even just the things that we talked about earlier, just metadata or incidental collection. Um, and it, it just feels like, to me, that that's at least a, a big part of, you know, a big part of the problem as well. The fact that they're so cagey about the language that they use that, you know, it's hard to trust anything that they say. And I don't think for the most part that they directly lie about the programs. I mean, other than you know, in court (laughs) 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 about how they got the, how they got certain information. But, you know, when, when pressed on how these programs work, they don't lie, but they're incredibly misleading about them. Right. I think that's absolutely right. And chapter two of my book is called word games and it tries to sort (laughs) of dissect some of this um, creative use of language to really, um, which ends up really hiding what actually takes place. Um, and I don't know why they, why the intelligence community takes that approach. I think that, um, you know, it may be that very few people there actually have the bigger view, you know, and can sort of take the step back and see how all of this pieces, pieces together. Um, fortunately, the public is now beginning to be able to take that broader view and get a sense of the scope of um, domestic surveillance overall. And and related to all that and, and the question of like how many people are, are sort of had their information sucked up under 702, I mean, you've certainly had, again, Senator Wyden, who comes up a lot in this discussion, um, you know, he's been asking since I think 2010 or 2011 for a, a general estimate of how many Americans have had their information sucked up under 702. And for years, the director of national intelligence, who was Jim Clapper at the time, basically refused and gave all these sort of weird excuses, including my favorite, that it would violate the privacy um, of of those Americans to reveal how many had their information sucked up, which I still don't quite understand. (laughs) Um, But, but, you know, there had been a promise, I think, late last year that before the the administration's changed, they would reveal that information and then they didn't. Um, There's a new focus now and there's been a new new request sent to the new um, director of national intelligence, who's um, uh, Dan Coates, right? Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, um, and he had suggested during hearings for, um, you know, during his nomination hearings that he would be willing to uh, potentially reveal that information as well. But I don't think we've seen anything on that either. Um, why do you have any sense of of why they they won't even reveal that number? Is it just that they recognize it's so large that that people are going to start clamoring you know for for some changes or or is there something else to it um you know i think that they um i i I think that you know the sort of the privacy argument is i I think they're worried about telling the the real number but i also think it was would require setting up systems in order to be able to determine who is an american and who isn't Uh, okay and i I think once you set up that that system there's a lot of concern about that and the concern is perhaps a privacy concern and then also perhaps a liability concern um, I think the privacy concern is um, we're going to look at all the names we have and then we're going to do a little Google search or a little LinkedIn search or some or a little <laughs> search on the p- 
passport database and we're going to figure out if Jennifer Granick is an American citizen or not. And if she is, we're going to put a little tab there. But have we invaded her privacy by, you know, basically putting her under this extra scrutiny? And then I think there's a secondary problem, which is um, an intent or knowledge problem. When, you know, right now, the intelligence community can say, we really have no idea how many Americans are in our database. But once they start to actually set up a system whereby they can look and see, does that mean they have the necessary knowledge that they're collecting the information improperly because they know that the way they've set up the system results in a massive collection that affects, a substantial collection that affects Americans. Stop!
Welcome to Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding. It is Wednesday, the 3rd of May, 2017. Uh, apologies for not being there last week. Needed to rest. Had a big issue with my back. Uh, headed in for a recheck on Friday. So, I get to see if my, I'm irreparably damaged. So, uh, I'll let you all know about that. Uh, details as they come out, but uh, I think I should be fine. It's probably one of those things where I just mess something up. It uh, it hurts to do like anything though, like still uh, a little bit less so than it did that day, but still it it's there. So I get to find out um, this Friday what's what's going on. Um, maybe I'll reveal some of that on Chain Reaction, but I think I'll probably just do all the all the detail reveals here um but uh that is not what y'all are here for so the the clips you heard were tokyo digital cruise uh rendition of satan's speech from paradise lost uh rebel incorporated's no song and uh, a clip from a, the most recent surveillance state interview from Tech Dirt, who, by the way, please check them out. They're infinitely useful in the modern age, um, and they offer all of their content uh, on a Creative Commons license that allows for commercial use. So it means that I can fucking pontificate on it without talking to them um and and that's that's a luxury that not a lot of content creators offer um and while i could probably go on for a very long time about why i think intellectual property is horseshit um the the fact that they offer that de facto the fact that they're willing to to be that open with their content is is something very fucking rare um, and they put out extremely useful content. This is no exception. This content being um, an interview with Jennifer Granick, who's been a guest on there before to discuss uh, surveillance state issues, specifically the NSA, what's been leaked from there, and how the rest of the intelligence community interacts with the uh, surveillance infrastructure and apparatus that uh, that that has been built by the U.S. government, and in this particular interview, she was discussing how the FBI can use the data that's mass dragnet collected um, by the NSA and other organizations to piece together sufficient enough amounts of what somebody could be doing that they can then backtrace from there and build a new narrative for how they reached the conclusions they did. Um, and they, she went over basically the interesting phrasing they use, a parallel construction, um, and how they use this sort of phrasing to, to bypass the necessity for constitutional uh, warrants for searches, um, and how they also uh, use this information uh, that they that they garner from parallel construction 
to release that as the story, even though that's not how they attained the original information. And, uh, and, and the original information was obtained improperly, illegally, unconstitutionally, in a way that uh, is, is definitely not authorized. Um, but they, what, the, what they'll do, and this is what I found interesting enough to include, is they'll work back from their conclusion and make it seem like they found it another way. And they'll do this because they know it was obtained improperly, and they know that there would be an uproar if people knew how much was being collected on them. And um, so I, I want you to think about that. Like every time you hear an official account of, of a story, every time you hear, like, the U.S. government confirmed X... Every time you hear uh, an official source or a source on the ground said X, I want you to think about about the fact that these people could be operating the same way that that did, and they could be, uh, you know, obtaining all of this information illegally, and then they find a source on the ground to confirm everything they were saying, you know. You want to talk fucking fourth dimensional chess or whatever that is? This is that. And the FBI does it every day. Um, so I just advise skepticism of official stories. Um, and, and on this similar note, uh, let's talk Hillary because she's been in the news uh, trending really close to number one for... Uh, her comments that essentially she, quote, takes responsibility, uh, but it's totally Comey's fault and Russian WikiLeaks spies. Well, like, y'all know my stance on this. Uh, if it was Russian spies, then it still doesn't matter because the reason a president gets into office is because the elites want him there. And so, of course, there's going to be collusion. Whether it's Russian collusion or American collusion doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is that 40-plus percent of the country didn't vote and didn't ask for a representative, uh, representative government. They didn't ask for a representative in the White House to tell like the rest of the world what their interests were. Um, but that 25 five percent of the people or more accurately the majority of the electoral college uh, who actually makes the decisions and uh, aren't totally beholden to the American people um, get to make decisions on behalf of that 40 percent that didn't vote um, be because democracy and because if we didn't how would we pay for children or fucking, you know, the bombing campaigns the U.S. government does overseas for our, quote, freedom. And it's really important to remember that that official story about the, the Russians, that all of that could have been controlled and monitored to elicit a certain response from the American people. 
And what easier way to elicit a response from the American people than to reactivate Cold War fears, than to reactivate the same sorts of suspicions and anger and distrust that worked people into a ducking cover fervor for decades. What, what easier way? I challenge you to find an easier way, because they're, they're, the only other easier way would be to, uh, to, to, to draw connections between, um, between some American politician and, and, and Al-Qaeda in some way. Because what we're talking about here is manipulation of fear. It's pretty guaranteeably manipulation of fear. What, what we have is a massive campaign to get people very upset about one country that isn't the U.S. Um, and it's to make sure that the U.S., when it is un, uh, like under scrutiny, it, that happens for like as minimal a time as possible. Um, and this sounds like, you know, just wild tinfoiling, but uh, ask yourself, why don't we hear about Vault 7 anymore? Why don't we hear about mass surveillance that Snowden released anymore? Why don't we hear about, uh, you know, fucking even that tired, worn-out story Benghazi? Well, because they make sure that the stories can get tired and worn out really quickly so that we can move on to how another country has the boogeyman in it and we need to go invade. And it's globalism. It's terror. It's, it's you know... Alex Jones even coming out and saying, yeah, you know, the Syria thing is obviously a false flag and Trump should not be getting involved. Um, you know, and, and <laughs> if, if, if even the person who's supposedly been the shill for Trump this whole time understands or at least is verbally confirming that it's a false flag, um, then that should at least give you pause. Um, but, you know, Trump has, has increased drone, drone usage since he's been in office. Trump has dropped the Moab on Afghanistan. He's, he's bombed Syria and he's like basically been Obama 2.0 in terms of foreign policy. And we're supposed to be surprised? No, Obama was Bush 2.0. He advanced all of the terror policies. He wanted to stay fucking in Iraq. Uh, and, and Bush wanted, like, Bush had th theoretically signed this, this, this SOFA, Status of Forces Agreement, to, keep, to get American troops out of Iraq. I think it was by, uh, by, by the end of 2008 or 10, one of the two. And, and Obama wanted them to stay in. And, uh, the fucking prime minister, I believe it was, because I'm not looking at any notes right now. Um, he, he he basically said, no, we want your troops out, and if you keep on vying for them to stay in, we'll raise you a trying them for war crimes, which would make the U.S. government understandably uh, nervous because the war crimes that were committed by um, by by. U.S. troops were fairly atrocious and fairly well documented. Those pictures of of fucked up inmates in in secret prisons, um, you know, uh, the the stories of like uh, a mother being raped in front of her kid 
as a way to torture her for information or something like that. This is this is stuff that still goes on, you know, but it could have been stopped if the president had any power and had the will to do it, which Barack Obama had neither the power nor the will because the elites don't put somebody in so that they can have power. They put somebody in so that they can seem like a representative for the American people. When really, they couldn't be further from a representative because they only represent like a quarter of the country, even if they do, you know. And, and then the Electoral College steps in and fucks everything up even further, and the U.S. government is somehow cronyist. I, I don't know how we got here, um, but, but we have this, 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 this fucked up system and and every part of it is confirmed by official stories official stories which are fucking practically gerrymandered in and of themselves to ensure that the proper politician comes out looking good um y- you know if you if you take nothing away from my fucking disjointed rants i i hope that what you take away is that the system is not giving you good information, so you have to find good information on your own. Um, you know, in the same way that they can piece together uh, enough about you from metadata to form cohesive ways to control you or to use you or to convince you of X, Y, and Z, um, you can use the information that they give you uh, like the little pieces of truth in that information. You can use those little pieces of truth to to find out similar things about them. Like, for instance, when, um, when, when Trump uh, dropped bombs on Syria, uh, even though he didn't release any information that would actually confirm uh, any uh, action was taken in Syria, even though there was enough falsehood and fucking incriminating evidence uh, in the first several months for uh, Corbett, James Corbett, to, to, to write another one of his uh, conspiracy theory videos, um, which was just as good as the other ones. Um, you can use the information that they give you to, to, to prove at the very least that they're not on your side. And that's what you need to start doing. If you want to convince people that these people aren't friendlies, that these people aren't doing things in their interest, but rather in the interests of multinational corporations and whoever greased their palm that Wednesday, um, then you need to start convincing people that the reality that they've been fed, you know, USA is good for you, even if it doesn't seem like it, is horseshit. You need to start taking the blinders off of people. And that's that's the first step. Um, there's a foreign policy uh, theory of, of, of interaction of countries uh, called constructivism. And basically it's that um, the entirety of, of, of governance is a series of illusions that people must believe. And I, I, I somewhat ascribe to that. There is no spoon. It's all constructed. Um, because, th- like, international treaties are broken. Uh, you know, 
fucking promises are broken from uh, elected officials to their supposed um, base. And all of this can happen regularly. And as long as people get certain things out of it, as long as people get, like, certain, certain feelings, certain perks, certain benefits out of, uh, of, of the government, then the government can stick around. Um, it's because they can elude you into believing that they're doing it for your benefit, whatever it is that they can keep on doing it. And that that's so important. Because if you can start showing people that these people are acting in the benefit of other parties, specifically the uh the corporate interests they're connected to through the Bilderberg group, uh the uh the international favors that that they take part in like OPEC for the petrodollar, their you know central banking scheme where they'll overthrow a dictator because they were going to stop taking the dollar um, and where they'll impoverish many, many future generations and basically cement this state by saying, you know, uh, well, without this debt, we wouldn't be able to pay for things right now and you wouldn't want children to starve now, would you? It, it's It's all about showing that this is designed to keep them in power and them in a certain level of power. Um... Because when you can start to do that, you can start to get people to understand that these people aren't acting in their interests and never were. And that's the first step, because once people start realizing that, then they'll start looking, well, whose interests are they acting in? They'll start looking at the connections. They'll start looking at the history of these people. And they'll start realizing that these people, yeah, you know what? They never really were on my side. And that... That... That is why I brought up the, the spying yet again. Because surveillance being watched constantly is such a good example of not being on our side. They don't need to know when you're talking to somebody uh, just because they come from another country. Just because they come from another place, that does not mean that these people need to know what you're saying to them. But as long as they can keep the, the illusion up that they're doing it for your security to prevent terrorism, then when they use it inevitably to fuel their agendas and uh, to maintain their power structure globally, you won't bat an eye, whoever you are. They, they, they want to think that they have you controlled in a significant and sufficient enough way that they can keep you from thinking about these things in that way. You know, that it's all about preventing terrorism. Um, Hillary Clinton, in her Women for Women International uh, interview, discussing how she worked with Laura Bush uh, to, 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 like, help women overseas. You know, that sort of manipulation, where as long as it seems to be helping women, it's totally fine even though the reason those women are in such dire straits in the first place is because the actual patriarchal structures over in their areas are, uh, well, gee, propped up by the U.S. government, by the fact that Hillary Clinton still takes massive donations from Saudi Arabia, by the fact that Saudi Arabia is on the Women's Rights Council to begin with. 
Yeah, maybe maybe we shouldn't be trusting these people to uh, to understand how to treat women properly when there are still instructions in many of the areas on how brutally to treat women who do not follow a specific religion, possibly. Um, we're talking very serious shit. Very real shit. And when, when you allow... When you... When the state can emotionally manipulate people. When the state can effectively lead you by your heartstrings, um, they can tell you to do anything they want you to do, and you will do it. Because, uh, and this is a long time, you know, very well proven fact, like, if they can make it seem as though what, what they're doing is is the only thing standing between you and utter destruction, then you will choose whatever level of destruction they're willing to give. And that trust, that that two-way street, that that I'm going to go with you wherever you go mentality is only there because the U.S. government uh, has manipulated people it's only there because the U.S. government has destroyed what confidence we have in each other and made it seem as though that confidence can only be placed in them. Donald Trump can massively increase drone usage. Um, Barack Obama can massively increase drone usage over Bush. And each of their parties will ignore this massive increase because they're so invested in the idea of 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 their perfect country that they're willing to let the person who promised them that ideal vision of a perfect country or at least a better country than we have now whatever now is um that they're willing to ignore all of the ways in which this person is make like making it the same or shock even making it worse it's that emotional manipulation. It's that understanding that they can lead you around as long as they make it seem like it's either them or damnation. It's either them or a worst-case scenario, whatever that may be. And this, this all ties into anarchy because I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a conversation with somebody and they give me some absurd lifeboat scenario where, you know, well, in an anarchist society, how would this be handled? And then it's, like, so simple to debunk that all I have to do is bring up the fact that they don't have a current solution in their status society, that they're giving me some absurd scenario so that they can prove me wrong, that proves them wrong if applied in the same way. Um, you know, for instance, how would you prevent child slavery, you know, human trafficking in, in an anarchist society? Well, how do you prevent that now? As far as I was aware, there was actually a commission 
to deal with the effects and the results of human trafficking, but, you know, let's, let's ignore that. Let's just say that the state somehow magically protected all children, all humans from being trafficked, because it's much easier to say that than it is to say that, yeah, my system doesn't do real good on that either. Um, and it's when you start to think in these terms, like, well, what is the state actually doing for us? That you realize that anything the state does for us is all about placation. It's all about trying to find a way to get our emotions on their side so that they can do what they were going to do anyway. Um, and that's why they don't need the lifeboat scenarios to work with statism, because they, they were only designed to criticize anarchy or limited government. Uh, they were never designed to criticize um, the the state of human nature. They were never designed to be universal and consistent. They were always designed to, uh, to, to keep people in line, because if you're not in line, then you must be part of this terrible, wicked problem. And that is the core of much of that emotional manipulation. It's saying, well, how would we do X without government? Well, ideally, you do X without government by being a good enough person to realize what needs doing and fucking do it. But if you don't want to do that, I, I suppose you could just have a, a giant organization that isn't really accountable to anyone, uh, but but multinational corporations dictating from the top down exactly what gets done and why. I, I guess you could just stick with that. And it's, you know, if I sound frustrated, well, th the name of the show is that for a reason. Uh, I am frustrated. And, and let me tell you why. Recently, I came across, thanks to Art of Not Being Governed on Twitter... I came across something which I looked up the sources on, and it's from the Poverty and Opportunity Profile. It's called Half in Ten. It's from the Sentencing Project, uh, and it's called Americans with Criminal Records. And it's a PDF, and I'm going to read it to you, because you need to hear this. The United States is the global leader in incarceration. Today, more than 1.5 million Americans are incarcerated in state and federal prisons, a figure that has quintupled since 1980. Ad adding in jails, the number of Americans who are behind bars rises to 2.2 million. One in three U.S. adults has been arrested by age 23. Communities of color, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals, and people with histories of abuse or mental illness are disproportionately affected. As a result, between 70 million and 100 million, or as many as one in three Americans, have some type of criminal record. Having even a minor criminal record, such as misdemeanor or even an arrest without conviction, can create an array of lifelong barriers that stand in the way of successful re-entry. This has broad implications for individuals and families, economic security, as well as for our national economy. Mass incarceration and hypercriminalization serve as major drivers of poverty. Having a criminal record can present obstacles to employment, housing, public assistance, education, family reunification, building good credit, and more. And it has some figures uh, in a chart um, uh, series 
uh, chart A, it says, the number of Americans incarcerated in federal and state prisons has quintupled over the past three decades. Um, B says black men are six times more likely to be incarcerated than white men, and Hispanic men are 2.5 times more likely to be incarcerated than white men. C says, as of 2007, more than half of Americans in state and federal prisons were parents of minor children, uh, which means that the U.S. government broke up fucking families in that number. Um, and all of these are pretty well sourced. Like, you can look up these numbers. Um, chart D says, as many as one in three Americans have criminal records. Uh, e has... Correctional expenditures quadrupling since 1982. Um, barriers to employment on F with 87% of employers conducting background checks. A criminal record can be a major barrier to employment. More than 60% of formerly incarcerated individuals are unemployed at one year after being released. Those who do find jobs, take home 40% less pay annually. G says barriers to public assistance hurt women and children. In many states, people with felony drug convictions are banned for life from receiving certain types of assistance. Um, 180,000 women are subject to the lifetime ban on temporary assistance for needy families. And H says mass incarceration is a major driver of poverty. Without mass incarceration, 5 million fewer Americans would have been poor between 1980 and 2014. The U.S. poverty rate would have dropped by 20% if not for the trend of mass incarceration over the past several decades. We cannot be a nation of one strike and you're out. Understanding that a criminal record can be a lifelong barrier to economic security and mobility with adverse effects on families, communities, and our entire economy we must craft policies to ensure that Americans with criminal records have a fair shot at a decent life. We must remove barriers to employment, housing, public assistance, education, and building good credit. In a recent and welcome development, bipartisan momentum appears to be building in support of criminal justice reform, in part due to the skyrocketing costs of mass incarceration as well as an increased focus on evidence-based approaches to public safety. Failure to address the obstacles associated with the criminal records as part of a larger anti-poverty agenda risks missing a major piece of the puzzle in the effort to truly enable shared prosperity for all Americans. Moving forward, we must continue to break down these barriers to economic security and ensure that second chances are within reach for Americans with criminal records. Now, I don't know if you remember... But several recordings back, I was talking about how the U.S. government basically uh, uses women um, and and their fears of 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 unsafety um, and 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 their desires for equality. They they use that to essentially divorce men from the entire country, so that the U.S. government is the the de facto father. And this, to me, only serves to reify that. Because if you, if you read between the lines on this, this document, what we have 
is a system that is mass jailing men. Um, and mass jailing uh, people for for very poor reasons and then not letting them be economically prosperous after they're out of the system. And then the the problems increase where women and children are suffering because the people that would have been providing for them aren't and the government programs that that they would would have been on um a lot of them don't qualify for because of the way the legal system is set up and this is this is what i'm talking about they the government is really good at breaking your legs handing you a wheelchair and then telling you you wouldn't be getting around so good without them the government will create massive situations that required attention and then give them the same attention that caused the problems in the first place. And it, like, like Hillary Clinton talking about how, well, you know, like, how do we empower women? Well, let's first off use a good deal of this, this interview to discuss how it was obviously not any of my doing um, that, that the election went to Trump. Um, and then let's also say that we worked with, with uh, foreign leaders and Laura Bush um, to, to advocate for women's uh, rights. And I'd like to see one bit of evidence that women's rights increased meaningfully under the Bush administration in the countries where they were most strongly uh, impacted. Because as far as I can tell, what Bush did was he bombed a bunch of places, destabilized them just enough so that he could insert a bunch of U.S. military bases there, and then extracted a bunch of resources in the region and paid off the most abusive dictatorial motherfuckers there so that they would keep quiet about the operations. As far as I was aware, Bush uh, and Clinton... Uh, both have been responsible for a good deal of pain and suffering, like when Bill Clinton bombed a Sudanese pharmaceutical factory. But let's, like, forget about all of this. Let's forget about the arming of the Mujahideen uh, in the Afghan-Soviet conflict. Let's forget about all of the times when the U.S. irreparably fucked up a region, and let's just really focus and hone in on on women, on on fucking global stability in in the worst possible approach and and while we're at it let's also totally forget that the reason Osama bin Laden uh said that he was involved in terror at all was because he could see uh Israel constantly spreading its borders out and encroaching upon the uh, territory of Arabs, and killing anyone who decided that they weren't going to be pushed off of the place where they legitimately owned property. Let's, let's, let's forget about that shit. Let's forget that maybe our enemy has had a point, and if we want less war, we need more diplomacy. And let's just trust the U.S. government.
Because that always ends well. And, and this is the apparatus that is spying on you. This is the apparatus that gets to decide if you're an enemy or not. Because of who you talk to and how on the internet. This is the entity that, along with its powers uh, spread across the globe, along with its elite connections, is increasing a massive surveillance net, usually in the name of copyright protection. And how these people have formed huge partnerships with multinational corporations and are, in general, fucking up the entire fucking planet. But these people hold the reins to the biggest, baddest military apparatus the world's ever seen. Biggest and most advanced, most widespread and most invasive security system that the world has ever known. And they get us to be okay with it by emotionally manipulating us. By getting us to understand that the only thing standing between utter chaos and us is them. Well, I'd argue that this is utter chaos. They try to re redefine anarchy. They try to redefine, you know, minimal government as Mad Max and, you know, anarchy as, you know, so, some, some far-fetched utopia. But I'd say a far-fetched utopia is a government that listens to its fucking people and advocates peace and reason and stability over the interests of multinational corporations. I'd say that that's a pretty pretty far-fetched utopia because it certainly hasn't fucking happened yet. And we're supposed to trust these people. We're supposed to trust these people and accept that they don't trust us back. Not enough to not have the most invasive system in history. I mean, they've got roving bugs that you carry in your pocket. They can access your metadata at any time. And in that same Tech Dirt interview, she quotes Snowden as saying, we've killed people with metadata. Maybe we should start looking at these people for more of what they are. The same thugs and hoodlums who have always blamed the good people. This has been Moment of Rage. Signing out with Dope Stars Incorporated, better not to joke. See you next Wednesday. Smash the stakes. <laughs>